0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. For more information, visit rothcheese.com.
2: Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we are all faced with, which is what's for dinner. Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feedfeed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today I am joined by John Kong, aka at Chef John Kong on social media. John calls himself a third culture cook, influenced by his parents' Chinese heritage as well as his own upbringing. He grew up outside of Hong Kong, but is currently based in Detroit. He has cooked in many professional kitchens, but is now creating culinary video content that emphasizes his own Chinese culture, but with many fusions thrown into the mix. Welcome to the Feed Podcast, John. I'm very excited to have you here.
3: Uh, thanks. It's really nice to be here. And those were really nice things you said about me. I was not prepared Uh-oh. for that. That was so nice. Thank you.
2: Oh my gosh. Well, it's the least I can do. <laughs> you have, you're very humble. You have a lot of, I guess, accolades that you are, I guess, more hush hush about, but like you are, you're a very legit <laughs> chef. Like how many restaurants have you worked in at this point?
3: Uh, I've worked at, Two restaurants and then two private kitchens. So like I was on the line at two restaurants in Detroit. Um, Both of them were New American. One was like more of a New American Southern. And then I worked for a couple of years at this private kitchen behind a secret private kitchen behind a letterpress and then right around the corner at managing my own secret kitchen, like and kind of like a supper club thing.
2: Ooh, secret kitchen. Yeah. (laughs) Very, very, uh, mysterious. Um, and then don't <laughs> you have like a random degree in something else?
3: Is yeah, that I have a law degree.
2: Oh, naturally. Of course.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that is random though. Yeah. As one. It is very as random. Yeah, it was the height because- of the, it was the height of the recession. And so it was like, and I just graduated under, undergrad and I was like, well, there's no work. I might as well just go back to school. <laughs>
2: So, if you need to uh, switch gears once again, I guess that's uh, something that'll be available to you.
3: <laughs> or, or never in life. That is like nothing I ever want for myself yes. anymore. Uh, like, no hate or shade to any of the attorneys out there. It's just not a life for me. I, I, I okay. dipped my toe in that water, and that's fine. That's fine. And you're good I'll to just go. I pay the student right. loans. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, you'll just deal with the repercussions for the rest of your life and not really. For the to rest of but my
3: life, exactly.
2: It's all good. So tell me a little bit about this third culture cook uh, title that you've given yourself. Oh, um, yeah. I, so, I get the gist of it, but I feel like you have a very interesting kind of explanation for how that kind of manifests in what you do.
3: Yeah, so third culture cuisine, I derived from like the title of third culture kid. Um, some people might also call it as like People of the diaspora. So it's basically where you grew up and have a home life um, of the culture of your mom, of your parents, pretty much um, being one way. And then the culture of the place where you live being a completely separate one. So, you know, like a Chinese American, like a hyphenate. So like the Chinese American, Mm -hmm. Mexican American, Italian American, Nigerian American, like all of those people would totally qualify as like third culture kids. Even And it's not even like completely restricted to that. You could come from like a multi-ethnic household or of some sort. Um, That totally, like your experiences as a person of the third culture is very similar. And a lot of our experiences, regardless of our ethnic backgrounds or our home cultures, are very similar with each other. We have a lot in common, even though it might seem like we don't have a lot in common.
2: Interesting. So what are the I guess so both of your parents are Chinese. So what would be yeah. the third culture for you? I guess Oh, for me, what are so the three? i like,
3: definitely Chinese American. Well, I I I can't even say Chinese American. I'm like Chinese Western. Um uh-huh. because like my my home my home culture has always been that of my Hong Kong parentage, but I grew up in both Toronto and currently live and spent a lot of my formative years in the United States. So, mm-hmm. um, I would definitely be like Chinese North American, I guess.
2: Chinese North American. All right. Yeah. So that works. Yeah. <laughs> and so what did that look like for you? Like what type of food did you grow up enjoying? Were you kind of having a lot of Chinese cuisine or was it more kind of Western oh, yeah. food Were both of your parents cooking? What was kind of the home life as it pertains to food when you were younger?
3: So both of my parents did not cook, but we did have access to a lot of Chinese food at home. Um, So I pretty much uh, had a lot of exposure. I also went back. I also was fortunate enough to go back to Hong Kong very often to see like my grandparents and stuff. So my immersion in Chinese culinary or at least Hong Kong culinary culture is probably like, you know, a little bit above average from what a lot of people have had the opportunity to experience or at least a lot of people who have lived the same experience as I have, have been able Mm -hmm. to experience. Um, And then of course, like being like existing for most of my life between Canada and the United States and living here and like adapting to the localized culture, I have a lot of experience just eating, living, breathing, cooking in America.
2: Right, right. No, that makes sense. So, what were some of the dishes that you kind of grew up with? As far as I guess, what what were some kind of staple Chinese things that you were having?
3: Oh, I mean, like we were eating things like you know congee. Um, We're having like instant noodles long before they had hit any kind of mainstream acceptance. Like we all like one of the things that a lot of third the. One of the stories that a lot of third culture kids will share regardless of their ethnic background is that story of like bringing the bringing the weird lunch to school as a kid mm, and being made yes. fun of it it was very like it's giving my big fat greek wedding yes. all i wanted oh was my a god sandwich. That's
2: the most,
3: <laughs> that's, yeah that's the it, most
2: like iconic way of explaining that the moussaka that she brought and yep, everybody hated yep. it <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah. So like and like it was that I think that's why that scene just resonated with so many people. And of course, like, you know, in that in the film, they presented it in a lighthearted, funny way. But then for a lot of us, it was a huge source of like shame as a child. And it was a pretty like a, a dark detail in a lot of third culture kids childhoods. Um, something that they may have carried on to this day into adulthood. Uh, which, is, which is a shame. I always say like if you're going to suffer pain as a child, you know, make it into something productive and turn it into something beautiful if you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the danger in it is like you make that pain a whole part of your personality and you just kind of never let it go. It, I've right. seen it reflected very much in the comments of some videos on like TikTok and Instagram. Um, people that run the risk of falling into that uh, trap.
2: Ah, interesting. So you you kind of lived that experience of having that kind of Chinese heritage and, you know, assimilating into Western culture at the same time. So was that kind of something that you you and your family were trying to adapt to? Like, were you guys also like, hey, we love poutine? I don't know. That's a very stereotypical Canadian thing to throw out there. But yeah, <laughs> were
3: but you
2: we... kind of fusing all of the above?
3: But high key, we do love poutine. We are, we are poutine stands <laughs> here. Like, I, I adore poutine. So, but, but yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, everybody when they were younger just wanted to fit in, in some kind of way. And that was, that is what assimilation is about. What I celebrate as a, what a calling myself a third culture cook is kind of, um, accepting and celebrating the being in between cultures, uh. Because, you know, going home, we're always too American for our Chinese. Well, I'm always too American for my Chinese family. And then living in America, I'm too Chinese to be anything uh, that would be in someone's mind as what an American is. So, you know, we were never really in one place or another fully. And embracing that and embracing the fact that we are of both and can turn it into one is something that I think that third culture kids have earned the right to claim. Mm -hmm. Um, for, I mean, it's, it's what makes us special. So why not actually take like fully take part in the thing that makes us special?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So when did you start kind of having a passion for cooking and kind of, was that always around when you were little or did that kind of happen later in life?
3: I was never afraid of the kitchen as a child. Um, I grew up in a single family household. So like I did some of the cooking and by cooking, I mean, like I cracked, I mean, like at the single digit ages, I would crack eggs into those little plastic containers that you would put in the microwave to poach them. Um, (laughs) And I would like, I have this distinct memory. This one time I decided when I was like eight years old that I was going to make cookies from scratch. And I didn't know how to do it. I don't even, I'm not even sure I knew how to read English completely at that time, but I was gonna make cookies from scratch. And so I took flour and sugar and water, and I did a dough with it. And I actually made them into the dough that would like, they held shapes. But then I didn't have any concept of like heat and time. So I think I only put them in the oven for like, what seemed like forever to like an eight year old. But like for me, It was probably like only like five minutes. So I took these cookies, put them in the jar, and then they just got moldy. But again,
0: yeah,
3: yeah, I was never afraid of the kitchen. So like, you know, it was never, it wasn't a passion of mine until I started using cooking later in life, later into adulthood as like a discovery into like who I was as a person, whether it be like my culture or what I wanted to to express to other people through food.
2: Mm hmm. And what did that kind of uh, culinary evolution look like for you? Like you, what did you go to culinary school and then you started working in restaurants and then it kind of your style evolved? I know you worked in kind of like New American and not necessarily, you know, Chinese restaurants. So what were the, uh, I guess, what was that evolution like?
3: Yeah. So it started as a blog where I was trying to recreate traditional Chinese dishes because growing or well, not growing up, but living in Detroit at the time, there were no Chinese restaurants. There's still hardly any, um, especially Chinese restaurants of a caliber that would serve the kind of food that I was used to eating in Hong Kong. So I was, you know, making them, photographing them, documenting them, and then putting them into a blog. The blog was, like, locally successful, and by, like, locally successful, I meant, like, my friends read it.
0: My <laughs> friends read it
3: without me asking them is what, like, my my bar for success was. Oh, that's um, important. Yeah. And then that... And then it just happened to be, like, there's a lot of right time, right place points for my life, but, like... That blog just so happened to coincide with the first wave of new restaurants that were coming up in Detroit. And what a lot of the chefs that were coming in from out of town opening these restaurants were doing was making pop-ups. And by the time they were doing that, I had gone from a blogger to being a pop-up cook. Just, like, literally serving, like, home-cooked meals, home-cooked Chinese meals out of, like, abandoned cafe storefronts in Detroit. and. Mm -hmm just like serving food to like small neighborhood communities there. And so like I had started understanding the process of food and cooking as a business through that. And that made me invaluable to the people that were opening restaurants because they were doing pop-ups of their own. I understood how to cook for pop-ups. So I started working for a whole bunch of people for their pop-ups and volunteering as well. So that was kind of like how I stodged. But unlike a mm. lot of people who like when you stage, all you really do is just pick herbs for a couple of weeks. Like I was yeah. helping them cook. I was like helping them prepare. I was helping them plate for people because it was all hands on deck for everyone. So that was my culinary training. And eventually that grew into me working at these secret kitchens and working at restaurants, as well as like doing my thing, and coming out with my tasting menu series um, that did really well in the city before the pandemic.
2: Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really interesting path and very different than a lot of people (laughs) I've spoken to. Oh, my gosh. So then when did you transition, I assume, during the pandemic to, okay, I'm not really physically going into a restaurant anymore. I'm going to start like, what was the story of you starting to
3: film all this? So I had been on TikTok probably a year before the pandemic. It was like right after it had switched to TikTok from hall I, I read an article about it and I was like, okay, I don't know what this is. Saw it. Saw it was a whole bunch of people dancing. Didn't open it for another <laughs> like six months or something. And then out of probably like at four o'clock in the morning when I woke up out of bed, was just like scrolling through and decided to pop to turn it up. And then I saw like older people on there and I got really fascinated. So TikTok had always been kind of like in my life leading up to the pandemic, but when it was not really on anyone's radars, especially people around my age. So it was always there. And I had, I remember quarantine had just happened and I was really itching to like make myself useful in some kind of way. So I did yeah. a couple of Instagram lives where I tried to like teach people how to cook, like uh stretch a can of beans or something like that. But it just didn't really like work out for me. Going straight from zero to live live streams is really awkward. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah. if you haven't
2: really done it.
3: Yeah. If you've never really done it, you just don't know what to do. I don't think I was doing well. Um, so I started doing little cooking demos on TikTok, whether it be instructional or escapism. I'm not really, I don't even remember, but that was like <laughs> May of last year. And, um, or May almost, May of the pandemic. And then I just yeah. kind of blew up um, over the course of that year. Uh, I started with instructional I'd started with instructionals and just showing people cooking, doing like, anime food, or food as expressions of art, and then to like the kind of the content that I'm doing now.
2: I totally forgot about your anime food phase. <laughs>
1: that was like,
3: that was like my first major, that was my first major partnership. And, like, kind of, like, what opened the door for everything. Like, I did a couple of anime uh, anime dishes, and that took off. For For what TikTok was back then, like, that took off. And there was this, like, crazy intersect between food and anime that people just loved. That got the attention of Funimation, who, like, made me their brand ambassador for, like, six months. And ordered, like, a bunch of episodes for their Instagram, IGTV. Um, and that like kind of legitimized everything uh mm-hmm. for me. And it kind of it was and that was the job that like made me realize like, oh, maybe this could be work. Right. And then after the brand deal started coming in after that, and I was like, oh, this can definitely work.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so do you think you'll end up back in a kitchen at any point, or are you gonna kind of stick mean, with this?
3: I'm going to stick with, I'm going to do, why not just do both? I'm still going to, I had been in the process of building a restaurant in Detroit for a couple of years leading up Mm -hmm. to the pandemic. And I don't have any plans on slowing that down, whether I'll be like there, there all the time will be left to be seen. I mean, I'm probably going to be there a lot, Um, but I don't know if like a full-time restaurant and being a full-time creator is possible for me, but I still want to have that space. Um, so yeah, I, I'm going to do my best to do it all.
2: I feel like if anybody can do it, it's you.
3: I feel uh, good about that's it. Really... <laughs> that's so nice yeah, of you then, to say.
2: And then if you need your, if you need legal advice, you also have your law degree to fall
3: back on. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Of course. I literally, I, I, I can have it all, Alex. I can.
2: Yeah, of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> that's very important. So you're doing content, you're trying new things you have like the anime thing going on so what i guess what are you doing now i feel like it's very you know you've been kind of dissecting the you know chinese culture as well as how it fits into other cultures and i know you have your like dumplings with pesto and all that so what is kind of the 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 path that you've been taking as of late
3: um it's at this point it's really just seeing like what I enjoy doing. I love expressing. First of all, I'm sorry, I called you Alex for some reason. I don't know why I did that. I know it's Alexa. I see it right in front of me so like well honestly it's
2: it's so standard in my life as you know with the alexis debacle that i don't think a day goes by where i'm not called alex or alexis and it's especially people think i'm alexis because like if i leave someone a voicemail on the phone and i'm like oh this is alexis santos it like runs into each other so it
3: totally does
2: so it sounds like i'm saying alexis so like i i literally didn't even flinch like that's so standard in my life which is so sad as you know yeah everybody thought I was Alexis in Chicago (laughs) like it's just another day another day so no worries no worries yeah so anyway your current vibe
3: I just had to say it because I didn't want to carry that with me for the rest of the day oh yeah that would have been just weighing (laughs) you down I I had
2: Priyanka on here um a few months ago and I mispronounced her last name and then she told me at the very end and I was like, Oh god, I need to re-record it. I was like, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely weighs on you for sure. <laughs> yeah.
3: So yeah, as to I'm sorry, what was your question?
2: It was about like your current vibe with your content and what you're kind of doing with dissecting kind of Chinese culture and how it fits into other cultures and kind of fusing cultures. So what's your kind of uh Your vibe there.
3: Oh, yeah. Well, you know, my vibe currently is definitely focused on the holidays uh, because that is what everyone is really thinking about right now and how I can, like, inject a little bit of my otherness into something as traditional as where I am, the American Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, that uh, holiday season. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
3: So, you know, I am... A very firm supporter of not of people of people not stressing out in the ho- during the holidays and actually ah. having an opportunity to, opportunity to enjoy themselves. so what I like to do during Christmas is do hot pot at home oh, because yes. everybody just makes their own food you have the opportunity to gorge everybody eats as much of whatever it is they like. And I'm traveling right now. So my plan initially before, like, it changed. I'm not going to spend Thanksgiving in New York. Um, but initially, I was going to go back to uh, Detroit. And the day before Thanksgiving, which, you know, flying in, being the only cook for the day before Thanksgiving, that was never going to end well. So I was... Right. And the travel going like, to be a
2: nightmare, too.
3: Right. And so, like, so my idea was, like, well... If we do hot pot in Christmas, why can't we do Korean barbecue for Thanksgiving? Because oh. you can switch out and buy those Korean barbecue home sizzle plates and put those on the same things that I normally put the hot pots on. So like I was going to do Korean barbecue for Thanksgiving and like Christmas uh, hot pot this year. And I was actually really excited about doing that. But, like, changing things up and making things enjoyable for everyone. Like, of course, like, I love to cook. I love to make the big mac and cheese. I love to make the turkey. And I love to make the turkey kanji the next day. But, like, you know, people are so mobile right now. And people are all over the country. Not everyone can get to everywhere to see the people that they want to see. Like, I think we can ease our way back into the huge holiday celebrations as slowly as we'd like. Because um, mm-hmm. I think as for everything that we've suffered through the past couple of years, we deserve at least that.
2: Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God. Well, that sounds like an amazing, ho- that's such a good idea. Like kind of like build your own and it's fun and interactive. So I guess that kind of leads me down a whole other rabbit hole of what <laughs> do you have any like, Made as like a cook who probably almost always gets tasked with the majority of holiday cooking and prep. Do you have any tips and tricks for people that are going to be doing that in the next few weeks other than like, have everybody do a DIY? <laughs> I
3: mean, yeah. Well, no, I mean, as, as far as that, I mean, I don't feel like I can give any kind of tips that nobody no major holiday cook already doesn't know about, like do all the things that you can ahead as much as you possibly can. Um, like, you know, the mac and cheese, you can do like a couple of days in advance. And if you're gonna do biscuits, you can like actually have the biscuits ready in the fridge a couple of days in advance. Like doing as much prep work and organization is definitely the key to uh, a successful Thanksgiving spread, in my opinion uh and also making sure that you brine your turkeys y'all just brine your turkeys (laughs)
2: that's tip number one
3: yeah just brine your turkeys because dry turkey is so sad
2: i know it really is it really really is i i heard someone else say that they did um like chinese duck stuff for thanksgiving instead of uh instead of turkey and i feel like that's kind of a hot button thing lately as like, oh, like, why don't we just like cut the nonsense and skip the turkey and just do something that's way better?
3: (laughs) See, I normally, you know what, I I normally would be totally fine with that. But the turkey carcass is what I, I, that's my favorite thing on Thanksgiving, because I love roast, like the turkey, bone, the roasted turkey bones they make such good soup, which makes the best holiday kanji, which is actually going to be in my book, um, the the next day. Like that to me is the best dish that comes out of a Thanksgiving meal or a holiday mm. meal. And it's not even the it's not even what comes on the night of the holiday. It's what comes the day after. So like I will always make a turkey because it's what is left over that I'm actually going for.
2: Okay. That's yeah, totally so like, fair. But you don't even have
3: to make kanji t- out of it. You can make a roasted turkey ramen the next day. You can make like a roasted turkey su- uh, soup for like dumplings and stuff like that. Like the turkey carcass is the most useful thing to come out of Thanksgiving, in my opinion.
2: Okay, so you're sticking sticking strong to the uh, yeah. to the turkey. Okay, I I respect Buy the that. I mean, too I-
3: though, damn, like also have the duck,
2: <laughs> have invite it more all. people.
3: Yeah,
0: have it all.
2: Facts. <laughs> yeah. No, I do like turkey. I feel like I never, I never have, I mean, most people don't have roast turkey unless it's on Thanksgiving and it's, it's good. Like you you cover it with gravy and cranberry sauce and it's delicious. Like nothing to complain yeah. about there. It's yeah. wonderful. And then so for the holidays, I guess, you know, Christmas, you know, whatever you celebrate in December, do you kind of have similar recommendations, I guess?
3: I mean, the, well, for me, like I, for as long as I can remember, I've only ever done hot pot for Christmas, so I can't actually speak to what a traditional Christmas dinner actually (laughs) looks like. But if you ever thought, if you ever wanted to consider trying it, I would highly recommend it because it makes life easy for the host and the guests. So yeah. yeah. Hot pot Christmas. Tell your friends. Tell your Christmas.
2: I kind of want to do that, honestly. I feel like I'm very inspired now that you've said it. I would have never thought about that. Is it easy to set up in a home kitchen?
3: It totally is because you can get those little butane burners. And they also come in like electric induction versions too if you're worried about fumes in your house. And you just Mm -hmm. set these pots. The hot pot broths you can buy at the store pre-done. You just add water to them. And you buy all these frozen meats that are pre-sliced and meatballs and dumplings and vegetables. You can have a bowl set aside for your vegetarian and vegan friends. And then you can have one for the meat for people who eat meat. Like everybody gets to take part equally – and with as much like vigor and gusto and enjoy the whole ass time. Like it's it's great. Um in Detroit, okay, I, I would throw like an orphan's or I would call it like an orphan's Christmas Eve. And I would just set up like five Five pots down one huge table, surrounded by food, and just opening up to everybody in the Detroit restaurant industry who knew about this event. And like, I'd get like anywhere up to 200 people coming in and out over the course of the night, just having hot pot, chilling out, and like drinking Ooh. together. Yeah, that
2: sounds so ideal. Huh.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, you have me inspired. I want to do it. I want to do it. I do am it. sold. Okay, well, you heard it here first. I'm going to do it. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors.
1: Today's program was brought to you by Roth Cheese, a pioneer in the U.S. specialty cheese movement. Roth has made specialty cheese in the rolling hills of Wisconsin for more than 30 years. With strong Swiss heritage, Roth is best known for its award-winning Alpine-style Grand Cru cheeses. Fresh Wisconsin milk, combined with expertise in affinage, is how Roth creates high-quality, great-tasting cheese year after year. In 2016, hard work paid off when out of over 2,000 contenders, Roth Grand Cruiser Schwa was named world champion at the World Cheese Championship. For more information, visit RothCheese.com.
2: So outside of the holidays, when you're kind of cooking, I mean, obviously, you've got content stuff going on. You've got special occasions. But on a normal night, what does dinner in your household look like? Like, what are you whipping up for you and your partner when it's just kind of an easy, normal weeknight?
3: Um, well, it depends on whether or not I'm making content that day. So if I'm making content of any kind, um, it's the content is what's for dinner. So mm-hmm. there's that. There was a period when I did, like, that that Funimation gig where they ordered, like, five – Episodes. It was five takes on package packet ramen. So like there was a week where all we ate was like jugged r- up packets of, of of ramen that we I would make. They actually Yum. really loved it. I was I had sodium bloat for like weeks, but <laughs> on a regular day, like you know I I go for easy stuff. We're pretty simple people. So like if we can get the rice going in the rice cooker. Um, and then we just add to that we'll do like a fried egg or we might do like ever since that we discovered like Eric Kim from the New York Times he did this thing where you're like oh you can make steamed eggs in a microwave we've done that so much it is so easy and literally really? 10 minutes yes yes. Yes, you gotta, you got to find – I don't know if we're allowed to push other, like, publications.
2: <laughs> but, I mean, might as Website. well. It seems like a game-changing situation. <laughs> <laughs> right.
3: But, like, yeah, Eric Kim from the New York Times, like, he posted this thing. It was like, okay, I'm making a steamed egg. So pretty much, like, you know, the kind of, like, the Chinese version of the uh, – what? Uh, t-
2: like that, the, you that, know, that omelet that, thingy? Egg,
3: not an omelet thing. You know like at Japanese restaurants you have this uh the egg that's almost like Oh the silky, tamago? Like a, yeah, toma yeah, I forgot what it's called though. Um uh it's like a custard but it's savory okay. or almost okay. like a even like a jello or I, I Egg jello just sounds gross, but like you just it tastes amazing <laughs> over rice, is what it is. Yes. Oh, you yes. know what it is? It's kind of like a savory flan. It's got the texture of a savory flan that's got like some Oh, Are you soup talking about the omelette rice?
2: The no, one that's, that's
3: like no, no, a no, no, no.
2: soft omelet? Okay. All right. Never
3: mind. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, we've bad. done that so much. Um, what else do we do? Like frozen dumplings. If we want to treat ourselves, we just like rip some dumplings out of the freezer and then we just add any old thing to it. Yes, um, I do and... have dumplings
2: in my freezer now, always because of you. So yes, just yes. making All, more ev- and more. John Kong. Yes. You are everyone infiltrating should. my life more and more You're as the day right. goes on.
3: <laughs> and what so else that's important. Um, the rice cooker also has like a congee setting and like, I'll also just make like really, really quick congee, whether it be with rice or oats, depending on how lazy I am. If I'm really ate lazy and I feel like I have to like be healthier, I'll use oats because A, oats are healthier than rice, like lower in carbs, higher in protein, um, lower in calories in general. But also, you don't have to rinse oats. So mm. you can just, that's straight out of the bag. And for a lot of people, that <laughs> is enough motivation to do it with oats.
2: That's actually true. I mean, you don't really think, I mean, whenever you're told or you're thinking about rinsing rice you're like ah, it's not a big deal but then every time i'm doing it i'm like this is not running clear and you just like keep doing it over and over
3: (laughs) i mean like three times whether or not it runs perfectly clear is totally fine but nobody likes rinsing rice we all do it because you know it's gross if you don't but it's like you know it's just one of those things that everyone should be doing wash your wash your legs and rinse your rice
2: yep Yep, yes. and then wash your produce. It's just like part of the yes. part of the deal. So all right, well oats, it is. And then I'll add that <laughs> to my list of, John Kong tweets uh, tweets. Oh, so not like tweets. a little hack.
3: If you're gonna make like oat congee, add it in a little bit of like chicken broth or a little bit of like chicken bouillon, like chicken powder or Maggie cube to it, so it doesn't taste like oatmeal-y, so it tastes yeah, more okay. like konji does like it kind of that kind of counteracts that sweetness like i want to add maple syrup and brown sugar to this whereas mm-hmm. like if you add some like chicken broth to your oats and make it like a konji uh consistency it it will f- help you trick your brain into thinking you're eating konji
2: okay that's a good question because i was a little bit skeptical there about what how that was going to work out, but that does make sense. That seems yeah. like the right solution. Okay. Got it. Good to know.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So tell me what are some ingredients that you always have in your kitchen?
3: Um, <laughs> That is, I mean, I, I still kind of have a restaurant in my apartment. So oh like that's God. where my secret kitchen was. So my secret kitchen literally was across the hall from my apartment where I, live now. So, I I kind of like just have literally everything.
2: Ah. <laughs> oh, naturally.
3: Yeah, it makes cooking on the road a little bit difficult, kind of fun. I am definitely I always feel like I'm on like a survivor in someone else's kitchen, but like yeah. It, I'm super spoiled cuz like not everybody has what I call a spice library or Oh my god. just packets and packets of dried mushrooms, dehydrated mushrooms, fruits and vegetables, like pickles. The only thing like I don't consistently have is like fresh produce because I like to Mm -hmm. buy that as I go. And like fresh meats um, and cheeses because I like to buy that as I need it. I also live in a farmer's market district, so I can get anything I want anytime.
2: Oh, my God. There were so many like weird flexes in that whole spiel. (laughs) spice library and the 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 dried mushrooms and the living in the farmer's market district and also too not for nothing living in detroit versus you know a city like la or new york you probably have a lot more space available to you with like your actual living space than oh
3: for sure but you know the trade-off is we can't get uh we can't get hmart on instacart so i'm very jealous Uh, of anyone who can
2: that's true i don't know if I can in New York. I've never tried. Or maybe I have tried. It's, I don't think it's as readily available as it is in LA. I'll say that much.
3: LA, but, Korean grocery stores in LA are unmatched. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's ridiculous. So I yeah. guess, you know, if there had to be one thing that was holding you back, that would be it. <laughs> that's your Achilles heel.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> so tell me, John, who inspires you?
3: Who inspires? I mean, you know, pretty much all the other creators that I have, like, the benefit of knowing On TikTok, everybody is so, is just all inspirational in their own ways, whether it be their hustle, their creativity, their voice, their writing, their ability to film, like every, that amazing thing about TikTok is that First of all, is like we all just exist in this space together, whether or not we are physically in proximity of each other. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like you and I know, like we're, we're all like good friends, but we also respect each other creatively and respect each other's work that we do. Um, it's it's not like we're sharing an office. It's like we work for the same company, but we don't. And right. <laughs> there's like no animosity between us, any of us whatsoever. I it's so utopian and weird in that way. Right. Because um, I don't think, and especially, like, if you're talking about people in traditional media and how competitive those people tend to be, because there are only so many pages in a magazine. There are so many, only so many channels on TV that you can occupy. Right. So everybody is fighting for that space. But, like, for us, it's just like, no, we be existing and isn't what... um Joanne the Korean Vegan, or the Moody Foodie, or H H.Woo, or, like, isn't what all of those people are doing just so freaking amazing? Like, that's, right. that's really who inspires me, is all y'all.
2: Oh, that's so, yeah. uh, that's so wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> very wholesome. No, it's true, though. I mean, because everybody kind of has their own channel, and they don't, you know, conflict with each other or compete, and, you know, it's, everybody's kind of doing their own thing, and it is, like, a very new phenomenon in the last year or so that you know came about with the you know pandemic and the fact that you know everybody had to be connected virtually and you know then there was the clubhouse days and you know everybody kind of getting to know each other and then once you know safe to travel again people kind of starting to meet in person again so it's just kind of been this weird like you said pseudo utopia where you are like oh this is real life now like yeah yeah. (laughs) we're all kind of existing in this similar space and it's like people who didn't have careers before now do and you know it just kind of came out of nowhere so it's it's very very interesting to kind of watch it unfold every day as you know
3: yeah and it all happened so fast like I still have no idea of what a normal speed of project uh normal speed of trajectory should be like I don't know what normal is yet and we're I'm looking forward to it, though. I'm le- looking forward to finding out what normal is going to be like.
2: <laughs> <laughs> One day, so yeah, someday. <laughs> yeah, looking forward. I guess. What are you kind of most excited about, like with your, I guess, culinary journey, you know, career journey, life journey, whatever it may be. Um, I know you have a lot of stuff in the works, but I guess what is, as much as you can, kind of think ahead in a realistic manner. Like, what are you kind of hoping for for yourself?
3: Um, I have the feeling that writing this book. Uh, is going to pretty much be the defining work of my life up for the next couple of years. I will I mm-hmm. will probably see my time as in, like, I will see my life in terms of, like, pre-TikTok and then pre-book and then post-book mm-hmm. is how I'm probably, how it seems to me from the eyes of, like, seeing how people ha- are acting after finishing their books. Um <laughs> So like there there's definitely like a daze in the eyes of, of people if you've like finished writing a book recently and i'm lo- I'm very interested to see how I handle that. Um, right now I'm just in the thick of it trying to write a book, create content, and you know you know do the odd brand deal to keep the lights on but right yeah, but at the same and- time, like do like really focusing on making meaningful things for the people that follow me right now is my focus.
2: Yeah, and also, you know, making time to live your life and <laughs> have that work life balance and enjoy when you can, if possible. We,
3: we don't know her.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, she's, work-life she's somewhere balance out there. Be
3: me. <laughs>
2: yeah, she's somewhere out there. We don't yeah. know where, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one day, maybe I don't know when. Uh, gosh, well I mean, I know this book has been like such a beast, but I think it'll be really Rewarding for you once it's done, obviously. Yeah. So, very excited to see how that all unfolds, and yeah, just kind of excited to be along the ride with you. Yeah. <laughs> well, was there anything else important about your journey, culinary evolution, thoughts, prayers that <laughs> I did not <laughs> ask some- you?
3: Um, no. I mean, like I, th- I feel like we've covered we covered a lot in forty minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just my whole you know, life. It- Just your whole life in (laughs) one podcast episode. No, but it's kind of a, it's always a pleasure to learn more about you and, you know, what inspires you and what kind of, what brought you to this point and kind of, you know, the kind of eclectic path that you had to, to where you are now, which as I said before, is very, very different from pretty much anybody else I've spoken to. So (laughs) it is, um, it's definitely very, very interesting and I feel like inspiring for people who kind of want to do the same thing or, who you know, people who maybe are in restaurants and thinking about doing something else or wanting to get into restaurants. I feel like you kind of run the gamut of, you know, different folks out there who may be kind of having similar interests and thoughts. So, you know, it's kind of cool to, you know, hear and kind of tell that story of what brought you to where you are today.
3: Oh, thank you. (laughs) Of course.
2: Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at The Feed Feed. And don't forget to follow John at Chef John Kung. That's Chef J-O-N-K-U-N-G on Instagram and TikTok. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview, interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve the what's for dinner question, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time.
1: is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com/slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.